some of you I know haven't seen the Star Wars movies, and God have mercy on your soul, right? But, but no, you know, it, of course, I was, I was reading some, some comments under the, the video there that I found, and, and they were commenting about, you know, remember the last, the last time those two were together in episode three, and they're jumping around everywhere, and they're on this volcanic planet, and they're doing all these crazy things, and they're like, yeah, they got old. You know, they couldn't move as quick later on. And, but he says, you know, you've lost all your power, old man. You can't do this. And what does Obi-Wan Kenobi tell his former understudy, Anakin Skywalker, of course, who is Darth Vader? He says, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And then toward the end, when he knows that in order to save his friends and help them in the long term, he's got to give himself up and he just stops fighting and he, he's, of course, killed. And then if you heard, though, right before Luke runs on to the Millennium Falcon, what does Obi-Wan say to him? Run, Luke, run. Where's that coming from? He, he's already becoming powerful. It's victory through defeat. Darth Vader couldn't understand what was going on. Did you see him kind of stomping on the, on the cloak there? He just, he didn't understand it. Neither did Luke. They thought that with his death, that was the end of Obi-Wan Kenobi. That was going to be it. And of course, nobody really understood it until later on with, with Luke and the whole Death Star thing when Obi's talking to him and, you know, and, and he guides him through it. Nobody really understood that what he was saying was true. That he had made a promise that ultimately it was through his defeat that, that victory would be gained. Obi-Wan Kenobi gave himself up for Luke and, of course, for the others. But he gave himself up for more than that. It was for a far greater purpose and a, and a greater effectiveness and a greater victory down the road. And, and like I said, nobody understood it at the time. It, it wasn't a moral victory that Obi-Wan was gaining. Well, I did my best and just a moral victory. You know how sometimes when your team loses on a Saturday and they don't play too well, you've got to go to church the next morning and stand up in front of all the fans of the other team who's playing better and so on. Well, we tried hard and we, you know, we needed to lose a game. Let me just tell you, by the way, this is totally, totally off the subject a little bit. No team ever needs to lose a game, just so you know. And so if Kentucky, just so you know, if Kentucky loses a game late in the season, oh, they needed to be humbled. No, they didn't. You want to win every single game. All right. So just stop. You don't need any moral victories. Now there's something to learn from defeat, but you don't need moral victories. There's no such thing as just, well, we did our best and, oh, who cares if we won or lost? No, no, everybody wants to win. Obi-Wan Kenobi is not taking a moral victory. Well, I can't beat him in this lightsaber fight, so I'll just give myself up. No, he's got a specific plan in mind. It was an intentional defeat for a greater victory. Now, that sometimes doesn't make any sense to us, but let me tell you this. That's the logic of the Bible. It is the logic of the Bible. You think of what Jesus did. The day when he hung on the cross, nobody fully understood except him what was happening that day. To everybody else, this was the end. Maybe even the end of a very misguided life that ended tragically with this terrible execution on a Roman cross. To him, however, it was the gateway to victory. His defeat opened the door for our victory. His victory, of course, first in obeying his heavenly Father, and then our victory as we receive forgiveness through that cross. Paul would later write about in Philippians chapter 3 that he had all this stuff, these credentials, but he considered everything a loss. He's willing to give it all up just so he could know Jesus. He's willing to take an intentional defeat so that he could gain greater victory. 
And from the moment that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that was the theme of Paul's life. You see it there on your outline. I just want to give you the the main theme up front. And some of you have probably already filled it in because it's not real hard to understand. Paul's theme in his life, what he lived for, what I I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we'll see today, that he wanted the Corinthians and, and vicariously we get to understand it as well, is that the more that I lose for the sake of Christ, the more I win. That's what victory through defeat is. The more that I lose for the sake of Christ, the more I win. The more like Obi-Wan Kenobi, I give myself up to defeat, the more victories that I gain there and down the road. Now the people that we'll look at today in 2 Corinthians, the church at Corinth, uh, they didn't understand it. They, they were accustomed to, to people saying that defeat was something bad. They were big time sports fans back then. And they, they looked at, at, at victory as the ultimate. And they couldn't understand how a guy like Paul would say, well, you know, I, I, I died to myself so that I might truly live. They were upwardly mobile, if you will. And they always were trying to advance themselves at any cost. And they were people who were impressed by these great public figures and speakers. Not by people who seemed to struggle all the time like Paul did. And so Paul had an uphill climb in his relationship with them. They had criticized him for not being always victorious, for not always knowing what he was going to do next and so on. And they looked at him as having an illegitimate ministry because they couldn't understand why he wasn't successful. Why his churches didn't grow leaps and bounds, if you will. Why he changed his plans. Any true messenger of the Lord, they thought they would have it all together. They would always know what's coming. They would never face any real problems because God would protect them. That's what they thought. And so the whole letter of 2 Corinthians is about Paul trying to get across to them why it is that his sufferings actually give him legitimacy as a messenger from God. So once you turn with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2. And I know some of you will not like me as a result of this, but I'm going to turn the heat down just a little bit. Um, I would rather you just as a side note, I'd rather you be a little bit chilly than a little bit warm. Because there are two, thank you Mark, Mark's actually going to do that for me. Uh, Mark's probably feeling the same way that I am right now. Uh, I would rather you be a little bit chilly, and I know that some of you, again, you're not going to like me, put on a coat. You brought one with you because it's cold outside, right? If you're a little bit chilly, guess what happens? You stay awake. If you're a little bit not chilly, guess what happens? This right here. Now, some of you are going to be that way anyway. It doesn't matter because you sit down for any length of time, 10 minutes, and boom, you're gone. It's like my dad. He sits down for 10 minutes, and he's out. It doesn't make any difference. He's got to stay upright or he's falling asleep. That's just the way it is. But we're going to try to try to adjust that a little bit. Thank you for doing that, all right? So we get into 2 Corinthians. I want you to look with me. We're going to kind of work verse by verse. I'm not going to take the time to read this whole passage up front, but but we're going to, we're going to work through it a little bit, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to begin our looking at verse 12, and we're going to get this morning to chapter 3 around verse 6 is where we're going to stop. Now, I will tell you up front, this is a very difficult passage to try to pick apart and understand. I studied this thing this week, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I really, really, totally grasp everything that this has to offer. But I think i got the main idea. All right, I think I've got it, and so I hope that as I pass it on to you, it'll make some sense to you. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says this, When I came to Troas for the sake of the gospel, a door was opened to me, 
by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus, but I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. So stop there for just a second, kind of set the scene a little bit. Here's what Paul is dealing with. He was going to this place, Troas, and, he, and the Lord opened a door, which meant that Paul had opportunity to preach, and there, there was, a, there was a, a receptive audience. And he always viewed it that way. If there's a receptive audience, if there's an open door to preach, hey, you know what? God has led us here. And so that's what Paul is saying. But what he couldn't get off his mind was his relationship with with the Corinthians. If you remember, if you've been here, you, you, you remember that they, they were kind of a difficult church to deal with. They, they had a lot of sin in their church. They did their own thing. Nobody was on the same page. They didn't get along real well. Paul's trying to help them get through that based on the gospel. He's trying to bring unity and so on and so forth. And they weren't real sure they wanted to listen to him. And so he made a couple of visits to them and he told them, here's what's going on. Then he sends them a very difficult letter. And he really kind of blasts them through that letter. And he's not sure how they're going to respond. And so he goes here and he's preaching the gospel, but he can't get off his mind. What are they thinking? How's things going with the Corinthians? And he's waiting for Titus, his fellow minister, to bring him a report, and he couldn't find Titus. Now, they, they, apparently the, the cell service was bad, and they, Titus didn't get the text message wondering what's going on. And so, understand, there's no way for them to communicate. They had to wind up in the same place at the same time, and they missed each other. And so he has no rest, he says, in his spirit. He's torn up. He's, he's completely defeated by this situation. He's, he's totally upset. He doesn't know what to do. And so that's what he's going for. Now, then he gets to verse 14. And look what he says in verse 14. But thanks be to God. What did I tell you earlier? Praise the Lord. When you're up against the struggle, as Paul was, that you don't know what's gonna, how it's going to turn out. Paul just begins by thanks be to God. He praises the Lord right in the middle of his difficult situation. Now, some people think that this is the beginning of a totally different uh, element of 2 Corinthians. It doesn't flow together, they say. He's really upset. And he says, but thanks be to God. But that's who Paul is. Paul's the guy that shows us, here's how to live with the Lord in the ups and in the downs. The good times, the bad times. He's going through a difficult time and he says, thanks be to God. Praise the Lord anyway, he says. And he's going to tell us why. Why is it that the more that I lose for the sake of Christ, the more I win? Paul's going to give us four elements that kind of go together with that. First, he's going to tell them that my surrender is my rescue. My surrender is my rescue. Look at verse 14. Thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ. Now that is, by the way, a terrible translation of what this actually means. So if you're, if you're looking in the Bible that's in your pew or following along with the Holman Standard Bible that we, that we use here on Sunday mornings, it's not a good translation. This is one area for, with this Bible that I don't particularly care for. The, the word there to put on display is maybe close, but maybe some of your versions say God always leads us in triumph, maybe you're looking to that, or leads us triumphantly. The closest to this that we could get is leads us in triumph, but even that is difficult to understand. Here's what the idea is. The word that Paul uses for puts us on display, for leads us in triumph, has nothing to do with us walking through the streets saying, look how great we are and how victorious we are. It is a word that means a Roman triumphal procession. Now, here's what happened when the Romans put people on display. They drug them behind the procession as a defeated army, prisoners of war, who were on their way to their executions. 
So when Paul says he puts us on display, he leads us in triumph, he causes us to triumph, he's not saying, man, look at how incredible we are right now. Paul pictures himself instead at the end of that triumphal line, that parade, as one of the prisoners, shackled, walking behind the victorious general and king. That's how he pictures himself. Changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? It's not all just victory through Christ Jesus. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Paul is saying he has been absolutely defeated. He is, he is a prisoner of war. He had to come to the point where he said, I give up. Wave the white flag. Take me into captivity. And he's walking to his execution. Put on display. That's what he's talking about. So when you understand that, it changes what we understand about the whole thing. <laughs> It was anything but a good feeling for the people who were walking in that parade. It was anything but joyous for them. Marching to their deaths, knowing they're about to be executed as a sacrifice to the gods of the people that had, been, that had defeated them. This display of Roman, Roman military and political power. Not a victory march for those who were being put on display. But that's how Paul saw himself. As a prisoner of war. God's prisoner of war. He had surrendered to the Lord on the road to Damascus. And now he is God's prisoner. Paul's favorite term for himself, by the way, when he introduces himself through letters. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. But anyway, unlike the Roman parade, Paul knew something different about the parade that God was taking him on. Uh, the Romans would eventually execute their prisoners. And Paul knew that the death that he had already died was actually a rescue from the death that he would have to die. Make sense? Paul was dead where he stood. He knew that. Just like those Roman prisoners. But his death instead was to self and to sin which was a rescue from both of those same things. It was a rescue from the penalty and the power of those things. It was a rescue from a far worse death that he would have died apart from Jesus Christ. And so Paul gave up his earthly life to gain it for all eternity. That's what he's saying. I'm a prisoner of war. I've surrendered and it's actually my rescue. God's prisoner of war, Paul was actually rescued from the life that he didn't even know was leading to death. And that's how life is with Jesus. Some of us think that if I give everything to the Lord, that it's going to be awful and terrible, and I, I, I won't really be able to live. Do you realize the trade-off you're making? Do you realize? If, it, let me just play it out this way. If, and maybe you say, ah, I'm not even sure I believe in all that stuff. Let's just play it out in the if for just a second. If there is something beyond this life, how will you know what that life will be for you? How, what will you bank on? If you say, well, okay, well, I know there is something. The Lord tells us that those who give up their lives now will gain it for all eternity. We hesitate. But the truth is we're held captive by the things that we won't give up. The things that we won't surrender to the Lord. So many things that we give ourselves to. And maybe today you're finally done with all the stuff that's holding you hostage. All the stuff that you come here to church and you don't want to talk about. All the things that just keep getting you down and defeat you over and over. The habits and all this stuff and, the, and even the addictions and the things that you do and the stuff that hurts you and so on. And you say, you know what, I'm done with all that. And maybe today you say, I've been looking at all these things to rescue me out of my situation. But finally today I just surrender to the Lord. 
And you'd say to the Lord, Lord, just take over. Take over today. Take over my will, my emotions, my motives, my plans, my future, my relationships. Take over my everything. I surrender. Take me captive. Lead me in that parade that leads not to my death, but to my life as I die to myself. So Paul knew that his surrender was his rescue. But secondly, as we go through this, Paul was telling them, my suffering is my ministry. My suffering is my ministry. Look in verse 14 again. Christ, he puts us on display in Christ. He parades us around and spreads through us in every place the scent of knowing Him. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are a scent of death leading to death, but to others a scent of life leading to life. As, as the Romans would walk these prisoners through in this parade, this victory parade, there, there would be things like incense burning and so on. That they wanted everybody to remember what had happened. You know how certain smells stick with you? You, you, you just, the smells are a very powerful uh, uh, sense, obviously, and it's tied to, to memory. And as they would walk these prisoners through, this incense would kind of fill the streets. And these people standing around would be reminded... That for some, that smell means victory. And for others, that smell means death. Same smell, same scent, same odor, same aroma, two different meanings. Paul was letting them know that my suffering, you see me suffer, you see me go through hard times. Ultimately, what that's doing is just spreading the aroma of the Lord. Look at what God has done in my life, even through this suffering, he would say. And to some, of course, that ministry would be a great reminder and encouragement to them. Sometimes when you're going through a difficult time, isn't it awesome to come to church and you know somebody has been through something that is so, so terrible, and yet they still can praise the Lord? Isn't that a great encouragement to you? And let me, let me, let me offer this to you. Sometimes it's worth showing up at church just to see that person. Because you need to see that person. You need to see somebody who's still walking with the Lord after all that. And so sometimes that aroma that spreads around other people, is it reminds them of the sacrifice of Jesus, the sufferings of Christ, that brings us life. And they see you going through that, and they're so inspired by it. Now for others, of course, they've rejected Jesus Christ, and so when they see you living that way, they look at you like you're a fool. What are you doing? You, you realize that you're, you're in chains to this thing that's leading you nowhere. That's what they tell you. It's kind of like when you're at work. And you've got, you know, Johnny Go-Getter, and, and, and he's doing everything, and he's, you know, he's new on the job, and boy, he's excited, and he's going to come in, and he, he's really going to get a lot done. Now, for some people who have kind of need a little bit of a boost, that guy, that lady is just, man, you inspire me so much. You come in here every day, and you give it all you've got. And then there's everybody else, right, standing around a water cooler saying, dude, slow down just a little bit, okay? Slow down. Cool it. Take it easy. You're making us all look bad. Okay? We're going we're gonna to pump out 15 of these things an hour. All right? You're going for 25. We contracted to do 15. That's all we're going to do. Okay? We're getting 15 done. You can... No, no, stop. You understand the difference? For some, that guy is an encouragement. For others, they just want to smack him in the head. Okay? That's the way that we are. But Paul was saying as a Christian, his suffering, what God brought into his life, and the way that God led him through it, that was his ministry. 
That was what was going to have an impact, just like that smell filling the streets, going to have an impact on people. His active dying to himself showed just how much life could come from Jesus. His weakness showed just how much strength could come from Jesus. His giving up everything in this life showed just how much hope could come from Jesus. So let me encourage you with this. Don't discount how God can use the suffering that you've been through. And you may say today, Lord, I don't like any of this. None of this is fun. I I don't want to go through it. But Lord, use me. Use me. God, you take what I've been through. You use everything that you're walking me through and you use it for your glory that it might minister to somebody else. I I can't say that always God takes you through, through something just so that you can minister to somebody else. I don't know all of God's motives for all that he does, but I do know that one byproduct of what you go through is something great that someone else can be ministered to by. I guarantee you, those of you that that have some life on you, not even that you have to be older, but you've got some life and you've got some difficulties on you, God has put you in positions to use those things to help someone else. That suffering can be your ministry. So maybe you'd say, Lord, use me. Thirdly, Paul told them, my obedience is my worship. The more that I lose for the sake of Christ... The more that I surrender, the more I'm rescued. The more that I suffer for the sake of Christ, the more that I get to minister to other people. And the more that I, that I obey the Lord, giving up my own will, the more that I can just worship Him freely. Look at verse 15. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. He says a couple of things here. One, he talks about the scent that goes to everybody else, but he also talks about the scent and the aroma that rises up to the Lord. To God, we are a fragrance of Jesus Christ. So Paul has both a horizontal way of ministering and he's got a vertical way of handling this. The aroma that Paul spread to everybody else was through his suffering and his ministry to them. But the aroma that rose up to God was Paul's obedience. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were required of the people in order to annually atone for sin, to cover it. And, it, and the Bible uses terminology like that, that aroma went to the Lord and it pleased him. Now, I don't know about you, but burning a large cow does not seem like something that would smell very good. We don't really do that much anymore. At least I hope you're not doing that much anymore. That'd be kind of weird. But that's not a smell that we really like. Burnt flesh is not something great. And yet it says that the aroma was pleasing to the Lord. Does that mean he's got a weird sense of smell? Is it just kind of odd to you? I don't know. But what he's saying in essence is that the obedience to follow him was pleasing. That as those awful smells rose up through their obedience to make a sacrifice that God said, that's exactly what I'm going for. And even more than that, even more than that, if you read in the Old Testament, there are several times Several times when the Bible tells us that the the Lord was not pleased with their sacrifices. Do you know why he wasn't pleased with their sacrifices? Why the odor to him made him sick? Same odor. Same odor. Why did it make him sick? Because it didn't come from obedience. We good? You trying to read the scripture to me? Is that what that is? That's so awesome. I love it. I love it. Isn't it great? Hey, you know what? Nowhere else at Elm Grove can you have somebody swim out of the baptistry 
and then just read the scripture to you. That's so perfect. I'm glad it's you because I can pick on you a little bit because you're up here at front. That's so great. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what is that? And y'all are thinking the same thing. And Kathy's freaking out. Turn that off. That's so perfect. I love it. That's so great. Uh, just by the way, if that ever happens to you, just, it's cool. All right. I promise you that it's, it, it, it's happened. I think, uh, Bill, it happened to you one time. That's exactly right. Yeah. Others as well, but yeah, it was me. So it's cool. Just relax. All right. So anyway, in the old Testament, all right, as Kathy was trying to, to she was looking up a scripture for us. That's good. Uh, at least it was the Bible, right? Isn't that great? Okay. In the old Testament, they were required to give sacrifices. Sometimes, however, God said, your sacrifices make me sick. Do you know why? As I said, because they weren't from obedience. And in fact, over and over, he would tell the prophets, go tell those folks that I want obedience, not just sacrifice. Don't just go through the motions. If you want to truly worship me, and that's what the sacrificial system was set up to do, was to allow the people to freely worship the Lord, then start by being obedient. Start in your heart. And so as Paul walked through the streets symbolically in this parade, in chains to the Lord, obeying every step that the Lord told him to take, that rose up, that smell rose up to the Lord and was an aroma of Christ. He is imitating the obedience of Jesus Christ and that aroma hits the nostrils of the Lord and he says, yes, that's what I want. I just want you to be obedient. I want you to worship me through obedience. Sometimes we wonder, what is worship? We walk away from church sometimes and maybe, maybe you've heard this, well, boy, worship was really good today. What does that even mean, number one? Worship was really... How do you know it was good? You God? What if God said worship was really good today? I wonder how different it would look from what we think is worship was really good today. We think that worship was really good if nothing goes wrong. If there are no hiccups whatsoever. If the production was great. If everything that you wanted to happen, it happened just flawlessly. And I wonder if God is sitting there saying, y'all are missing the point. Worship, yeah, it happens corporately as we gather on Sundays. But it's about obedience. It's a way of life. It's not just something we gather to do on Sunday. It's not just something that we attend. Paul was a guy who, as he walked every day, he wanted that aroma every day rising up to the Lord saying, God, I'm obedient today and today and today, the other six days of the week. You understand? Paul said, my obedience is my, my form of worship. That's what I'm going for. I want to be obedient to the Lord, to truly worship Him in everything that I do, to be a living sacrifice, which he would say is our acceptable form of worship. We don't have to have everything go flawlessly here at church. It's taken me some time to get over that, I'll just tell you. It, it, it did. It, it's taken me some time. Because I, I, man, I really like to plan things and have them go really well. You like that at all? And then you bring people in. <laughs> you know that? Like if some of you, okay, some of you have kids and you've got all these great things planned that your family's going to do on vacation or at home and you're going to do these lovely little activities with your kids and then they just lose their minds. You know, that's just what kids do. It's insane. Or you plan this great thing and nobody shows up because they had something else going on that came up five minutes before when they'd already told you they were going to be there. People mess things up, don't they? But you know what? I've, I've come to understand that as we gather here for worship, 
As we gather together, it's not about whether things go flawlessly. It's about did we come and did we surrender ourselves to the Lord? Did did we simply say, Lord, I'm going to choose today to be obedient. I'm going to praise you with my mouth, with my lips. And that to me is more important than if everything went flawlessly. If we've got the coolest production and coolest church in town. Anyway, obedience is worship. And so you can hear Paul saying, Lord, just be pleased. Be pleased with what I do. Uh, Understand that in Jesus Christ, God is already pleased with us. So this isn't about earning his favor, but this is about living in his favor. Living in obedience to the Lord pleases him. And as believers in Christ, guess what? That is our command, is to please the Lord, to be holy as he is holy. And then fourthly, he wanted them to know that the more, the more that I lose for the sake of Christ and surrender and in suffering and in obedience, the more that I gain rescue, I can do ministry, and then I can truly worship the Lord freely. But fourthly, he wanted them to know that my incompetence is my resume. Now hang with me for just a second. He, he says in verse 16, look at the very end, he says, who is competent for this? Who, who can do those? Who can surrender? Who can suffer well? Who can be obedient? Who's competent to do that kind of ministry? To, to worship the Lord in that way. And he says, we are not like the many who make a trade, or the, the, the word actually says peddle, in God's message for profit, but as those with sincerity, we speak in Christ as from God and before God. And then he goes on in chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or like some, do we need letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone, since it is plain that you are Christ's letter, produced by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. And look at verse 4. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ, not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. They wanted Paul to be so slick and perfect and polished and know everything and have it all together. And there were people that would do those things and they would be able to really impress the people and then convince them to just give some money toward what they're doing. And Paul says, we're not going to water down God's word so that you'll pay us a little bit more. So that the building will be a little bit fuller. We're not going to do that. We're not going to water down God's word. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to alter it. I'm just going to give you a crucified Messiah and a messenger that's been beaten up by life, but has come to know this crucified Messiah so that I might depend on him because nothing good can come from me. I'm not competent, he says, for any of this stuff. Now, this is coming from a guy who had a lot of credentials. He had a lot of stuff that he knew. A great theologian. A great church planter, missionary. And Paul says, I'm no good. This isn't about me. My competence doesn't come from me. My effectiveness doesn't come from me. In fact, my resume is just that I'm no good at anything except I know Jesus. And he makes me competent. They wanted somebody who was really impressive. Who had letters of recommendation. Well, that was important to them back then. Who had a good resume. Who could list all these things and accomplishments that he's done. You ever applied for a job and they want to see your resume? And you say, oh, well, y'all get back with you. Because you ain't got nothing good on your resume. You know what I'm talking about? And it doesn't fit. Man, I don't know. Paul said, I don't have a good resume. I just have Jesus. 
I'm not really competent at all these things you want me to be good at. I can't really figure everything out. But, but here's Jesus. And He can do what I can't do. He's what you need. As I continue to pastor here, what, what I am convicted of more and more and more and more is that I, I can be really competent in myself if I want to and try really hard to do everything well and have it all be flawless. You know what I'm talking about? But you know what you all need? You need Jesus. You don't need a competent pastor. As much as that pains me to say, because I really like being competent. <laughs> I really like trying to do a good job. And I'm going to continue to try to do a good job. You understand what I'm saying? But folks, if all we are getting from our, from our spiritual leaders is just good sermons and effective ministry, and we're not getting Jesus through brokenness, we ain't getting nothing. Nothing. And it's my conviction, and listen, I don't know if this stuff is just for me. I mean, I have no idea. But I get where Paul's coming from. Because it is real tempting to try to be everything and try to do everything well. And some of you are saying, that ain't working in my life. It's just, uh, I'm just faking it. Maybe for the people around you, just say, you know what, Lord, be what I'm not. God, I, I'm not calm in this situation. I'm not prepared for that. I'm not able to understand what's going on. I'm not up to the task. I'm not aware of what to do next. I'm not strong enough. I'm not confident enough. Lord, I am not any of those things. If I'm honest with you, Lord, be what I am not. And let my incompetence be my resume so that you might be seen as competent. That you might be seen as great. I don't know what all this says to you today. This is one of those sermons that as I began to study it, I thought, I really don't know how to preach this. <laughs> There's no one action statement that says, go and do this, and everybody gets fired up. You picking that up so far? It, it, it's just sort of Paul is expressing his thoughts about what does it mean to give yourself up, to, to take an intentional defeat in this life that you might gain victory through Jesus Christ. To surrender, to suffer well, to be obedient, to recognize that I'm nothing apart from Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Paul lost it all for Jesus and he gained everything in return. He said in Galatians 2, he said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He said, I, I've died. I've been crucified with Christ. And, and it's not me now, but Jesus who lives through me. And then in Philippians chapter 1, he would say, he said, I, I, I understand that, that my death is actually for my gain. I'm going to gain something. And he's talking about his physical death, but he had already died to himself. Maybe today it's something through that song that you need. Just to praise the Lord where you are. Or to be reminded that, you know what? Your surrender today is actually your rescue. And so give it all to the Lord. Or to be reminded that your suffering can be something that God can use. And so you just say, Lord, use me. I don't know how, but you use me. Or that, Lord, I've been trying to worship you by doing these things and going to the right time and going to the right place at the right time and going to church. But, Lord, I just, I just want to worship you through my life. Be obedient. Or maybe you've been trying to be so perfect and good at everything. And you just say, Lord, 
Be what I'm not.